Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting from Atlanta, Georgia, this is The Bright Side with Technisha. A daily broadcast on real-life issues that will keep you motivated. And now, here's your host, Technisha. That's right. That's me, your host, Technisha, and thank you for tuning in to the, another episode of The Bright Side with Technisha. Today is May the 23rd, 2014, and I and TGIF, everyone, and today is officially the first day of summer, so I'm very excited, and I hope everyone is having a blissful day. Please, whatever shape or shape or position that you are in right now, and if it's troubling to you, I promise you God will take you out of that. You just have to pray about it because I know somebody is troubled right now. But I hope that I can keep you entertained with a special guest today. Ever wonder where those clever commercials you see on TV come from? Want to know more because they might have originated from the creative and very funny mind of Gordon Bouchel, an award-winning madman who started his career as a copywriter at Macy's and retired as the chairman of a major New York agency. After writing his first book, Humor is a Funny Thing, a book that turns everyday humdrum moments into a laugh-out-loud funny book of comedy sketches. And here he is. He has turned his attention to punctuation and published a clever children's book called Panic and Punctuation Land, which I think is a great book for children around here because, as I was explaining to him earlier, we have so much to learn when we get in college. Like, they don't tell you all this. So here to give us more is Gordon Bruchel. Gordon, how are you today? I'm terrific, Technicia. That was some intro. Wow, that was terrific. I can't believe that's me. <laughs> I'm very impressed yeah. with me. I'm glad you got you on the air. I'm so glad that you're on the air with us today because this does touch bases, especially like I was explaining. In elementary, they teach you the body, the middle paragraph, and the conclusion, and that's it. But when you get in college, it's a totally different atmosphere. You have mm-hmm. to worry about the thesis. And then not only that, the thesis don't always start at the beginning of the sentence. It can go in the middle. And then if you're trying to put several ideas into a paragraph, you have to write that in a way where you don't just use comma out the comma. So it's a lot. And I think really in elementary they need to start teaching you this method now. So, Gordon, let's talk about your book. What is this book really all about? Well, uh, let's see now. Uh, This book came about because my uh, granddaughter at the time was in third grade. She's now much older than that. And I had dinner with her one night, and I said, what are you studying in school? And she said, we're uh, studying um, punctuation. And I said, oh, that's an interesting subject. She said, "Uh, would you write a story for me? Uh, for my class. So I said, wow, about what? She said, uh, oh, I don't know, anything. So I promised her I would. And uh, I went home and sat in front of the computer and tried to think of a story for my very great class that they would like. And I thought punctuation, because that's what she's studying, would be a terrific subject. So I uh, sat down and said, what am I going to do about punctuation? How can I uh, do it? I don't. I want this to be instructional, but not be a textbook, not a boring textbook, you know, that says, uh, okay, rule is you put the comma here, you put the apostrophe there. Somehow this would be more entertaining. I wanted them to laugh and learn at the same time. So I came up with this idea that I'm going to create a magical, mystical place called 
punctuation land. Punctuation land. Ah, this is where all the punctuation marks live. The period, the comma, the apostrophe, the question mark, the colon, the parentheses, the exclamation mark. The whole punctuation gang, they live here in punctuation land. And punctuation land is a very happy place because each mark knows exactly what its job is. I mean, the peri- as the uh, comma explains, uh, we all have a job to do, and uh, without us, what you write won't read right. We make it read right. So, uh, for example, the comma says, uh, I come downstairs in the sentence, and I come between words. I cause a pause. And uh, my um, cousin up there, the apostrophe, looked, and now you know the apostrophe and the comma look alike. And the uh, apostrophe says, um, well, I come upstairs in the sentence. I come between letters, and I can be very possessive. And now he goes on to explain uh, what he does to a very funny kind of example. And they talk briefly like this about some of the jobs they do. But the real basis of the story, and this is how I got, I think, the kids to pay attention and really enjoy it, there's a wonderful storyline that goes on. It seems that one day there is a problem in punctuation land. What could possibly go wrong in such a happy place? Well, the problem centers around the period. The period is unhappy. Whoa, what is the period unhappy about? She wasn't at breakfast this morning. They don't even know where she is. Well, they go out looking for her, and they finally find her sitting under a tree in a field, and the question mark asks her, period, why are you so unhappy? The question mark always asks all the questions. And the period reveals the, her problem. And her problem is a shocker. Her problem threatens all of writing, but it's also a very funny problem. The period doesn't like the way she looks. I'm not pretty. I'm boring. Oh. I'm just a little at the end of the sentence. I don't mean anything. It takes no talent to draw me. You just press your pencil on the paper and you got me. I have no curves. I'm not pretty. I'm not like you, comma. Uh, are you following this, Technicia? I am. Poor period. <laughs> poor little period. Exactly. The poor little period. She says to the comma, look at you, comma. You've got this cute little flip to you. Why? And you can come... Okay, and you can come many times in a sentence. I can only come at the end. I want more stage time like you. And then she says, she turns to the parentheses, and she says, and look at you, parentheses. you curvaceous and slim. And, oh, you hug words, and you embrace them, and you love words. Well, anyway, the story goes on now that uh, this is a very, very big problem in punctuation land because the period now wants to change her looks. She doesn't want to look like she looks anymore. And the other mark will say, you can't do that. In the middle, you'll destroy all writing. You'll have to be the period. And they try to convince her that she really is classic looking. I mean, her design is so simple. She's a classic. And uh, no matter how hard they try to uh, convince her that she really is beautiful, she says no. And so she takes off and she goes to the printer and she gets herself a new look. And uh, she presents herself to the world as the new period. Well, what goes on next, of course, is the uh, gang gets together and they have to come up with a plan how to dissuade her from doing this. And that's wow. in the, 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 the core of the book now. And in the process, 
they reveal how they are used um, and how they what they do in a sentence. Uh, but it's all done in the context of the story that's going on throughout the book. And uh, it's just a very funny storyline, and it's a very entertaining way. Kids love it. I've you know, shown it to many kids, many classes, and they laugh because just the idea. I mean, the, the uh, uh, exclamation mark. He, oh, he tells the other marks, you talk, but I shout. And he's always very exciting, you know. And a little thing like this, the kids learn what an exclamation mark is. What kind of a sentence do you put the exclamation mark at the end of, etc. So that's basically the core idea of the book. Right. That's, that's what my children are learning now, you know, about the when to use the period, when to use the question mark. And yeah. I always, usually they'll get them confused because they'll put the question mark with, a, with maybe a statement. I always tell them basically when you're doing a question, it's really with how, who, what, when, where, why. That's right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I, when it comes mm-hmm. to that exclamation mark, especially when they read, I say you got to shout it out because it's a shout. It's the same That's way right. I shout. So That's you clean right. your room. Yeah. Yeah. emotions. So I really think this book is really awesome. I haven't shown them the book yet, but I can't wait for them to read it. I I think it's even helpful. Excuse me for us adults, because especially. Well, I have to tell you, I've shown it to a lot of adults, and adults love it. They love to read the story. I mean, it's funny. Well, and they, they all say, I got something out of it. They learned something out of it. Right. Because you do forget when you, especially if you've been out of school for years, man, you go mm-hmm. back to school, it's telling you to write this paper. You're like, wait mm-hmm. a minute, I've been to school for yeah. about five years. I can't remember where to put this. Because mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. I love when my children bring work home because it helps me to remember, like, adjectives, adverbs. I'm like, okay, yeah. Yeah, you know, right. Mm-hmm. When they do their homework, I'm doing mine too. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, now I remember. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Mama, right. yeah, thank you. <laughs> but I think that's a great book. I'm glad you I'm glad you even came up with the idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and there's a lot of there, there are a lot of little funny things going on in it. Like the uh the comma says, uh, you know what you get from being a comma? A bad back. Now if you can imagine I mean he's illustrated, if you can imagine the comma He's, you know, kind of contorted like that. He's twisted. He's got a bad back throughout the book. And that becomes a, one of the elements in, later on in the book, his bad back. He throws out his back and he can't punctuate anymore. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> I probably I wouldn't want to be the question mark. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the question, you know, he's always he's always asking the questions. Right. <laughs> yeah. So and then, it's, it's a... It's a terrific romp through uh, um, through punctuation, and it takes a subject which I think for most kids is mystifying. What do these little marks mean? Why are they there? How do I use them? And it makes them really human. It gives them personalities and a voice, and uh, it goes uh, it goes a long way to ingraining. Uh, like when that when the um, exclamation mark said, "I shout." You uh, you talk, I shout. Uh, that, I think, puts in the kid's mind, and especially the, the, you have to see the pictures in this book. The pictures are fabulous, absolutely fabulous. Uh, when he says, I shout, you talk, I shout, that puts a, a picture in the um, kid's mind of the exclamation mark that they'll never forget and, how, and what an exclamation mark does to a sentence and what kind of a sentence you put 
the exclamation park mark at the end of. That's the important thing. When you want the sentence to shout, you know, then you use that. You know, I would love to know who actually came up with the idea for all this, the colons, who sat down and just thought about this, Mm. the reason why we have to use all this, like, because I'm sure Mm. probably was years ago, but it's awesome how it's created, because I'll be thinking of certain things, like, why was this created? Why did we have to use semicolons and all that? And see, I Mm. love it. Because your breaks it all down because it is so much. Because my girls look at me like, Mama, why do we have to use it? And I'm like, well, it kind of separates it so you don't bunch everything up. You don't. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you don't uh, want everything. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, I said um, originally uh, and when I was writing this book, I had a thing in it about the comma and the comma explaining what it does. And he and I gave an example of a sentence with a lot of words without the comma in it. And I said, without the comma, you have a word collision. <laughs> uh, words collide into each other. Why? They all and, 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 and you have a big accident, you know. Why? Why you hit me? Because, because he hit me on this side. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Right. Where my where is my combo? Can we get our comma in this sentence? The more I t- uh, it's it's so much fun though. But aside from punctuation and grammar, what is the underlying theme of the book? Well, the underlying theme of the book, and it's uh, very interesting, because uh, I tried this out. A uh, teacher read it to a fifth grade class, and they wrote me about oh thirty five letters as to how much they loved the book, and uh, a number of the letters made note of this particular thing they got out of the book, that the whole story about the period not liking the way she looks is uh, an example that you should love the way you look. You should be happy with yourself the way you were born. You should be happy the way God made you. And uh, go through life like that, happy within yourself, about yourself. Uh, And that's all wrapped up in this little story about the period who becomes, uh, I mean, she makes it, her new look when she goes to the printer is she is an absolute glamorous Hollywood movie star. And uh, and she's all excited, but in the end she decides, you know what, this is not me. I'm going back to little old me, the period, the way I was meant to be, the way I was born to be. So uh, there's a message in there about that. Well, where did the ideas for these characters come from? Well, that's uh, all when I originally sat down um, to think about what kind of a story I was going to write. The the whole idea came that I'm going to write a story about a place called Punctuation Land, and I thought it would be interesting to make all these uh, punctuation marks animated characters, like little people, and they all had their own personality and their own voice, and uh, through the storyline they reveal how, uh, how they're used. So, um, and they can be cute. They can have personalities. You know, the, the question mark always talks in questions. That's all he does. He never makes a statement. He only questions. And, um, of course, the exclamation mark is always yelling and ranting around and screaming. And uh, the period is this adorable little mark who's unhappy with herself, but then she gets excited because she comes to the conclusion that she's... Um, Really, that she's, you know, she's the same shape as like a pizza pie, the earth, a CD disc, you know, a ball, you know, a balloon. That's a pretty good shape. That's a pretty good look to be. 
So uh, they all have something to contribute to the book. But most of all, they come to life. And again, I have to tell you, you have to see the artwork. They, the artwork is so adorable. They, the expressions on their faces and their, their body movements and their, their eyes and everything, they really are. They're very lively and fun characters. Now, you may be interested. Right. That's a the good party. thing. I, like I said, Gordon, I do. I love I love your book because it's so animated. It is. It's very creative. Yeah, from it right is. From to the end. Now, with these characters, how do you think readers will relate to the personality of the characters in your book? Oh, I think they're going to love them. Absolutely love them. I think every time they write now, um, uh, they're going to think about the characters. Every time they put use one of the characters. For example, every time you use a common now, Technicia, every time you make a common now, you're going to say, watch, Ah, oh, I got a bad back. Watch it. Don't make me too curved, you know. <laughs> Which I I love that kind of stuff. The comma has a bad back, <laughs> and mm-hmm. I think they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna love this kind of stuff. I think it's very um, it's very catchy, and uh, you know, it's like a good ad. It's like good advertising. It's it catches your attention, your imagination, and you remember it. You definitely Why? remember. It. Why you do? It is because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking because I'm thinking of it right now as I as I got in my mind the different colors. That's memorable. I mean the words are big enough. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. you don't have to squint your eyes to read it. No. So Gordon, what makes this book unique from other children's books? Well, I think it's um, I think it's um, laughing and learning. That's the important thing to me that they're going to do not just enjoy and laugh at the book, enjoy laughing while they're reading it, uh, but they're learning something, whether they realize it or not. They are putting something in their head that they're going to remember a long time. For example, one of the uh, characters when the uh, when the period says she's going to change her look, the look, the apostrophe says, and you have to picture this. The apostrophe says, the period can't, won't shouldn't, wouldn't, mustn't, and they're all hyphenated words, you know, that's how she, the, the apostrophe expresses her anger or her dissatisfaction with the period, so yeah, you see them in action, and I think that's, uh, it's not just uh, the period goes here, the uh, apostrophe goes there, whatever, this is a, a moving story that you remember, the, um, you take a lesson from it uh, while you're laughing and learning. I think that's important. And I think the artwork is fabulous. I've never seen artwork like this in a kid's book, or better than this. Why? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The artwork was done by a lady, Christine Luco, um, who was very, very talented. She's a wonderful artist. She's a muralist. She's a, a painter and everything. She sure did. She put, she put her work into this. I, I love it. Yeah, she mm-hmm. did an excellent job. Kudos to her. Yeah. And, I, and I think the only reason why I do like this is because unlike most children's books, which is fine and dandy, which is fine and dandy, talking about animals and all that, this is actually educational matter. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. know, when when my granddaughter said, could you write a book for us, I, I sat down and I said, I'm not going to write a book about an elephant and a tiger in the woods or, you know. <laughs> 
something like that, the typical kids' book. I'm going to write something totally different. Uh, I'm going to create a new place, and, and that's why I love this. Now, this is really uh, the first in a series of books that are going to be like this. Um, the next book, which is uh, actually is already written and almost finished and uh, about to be printed, is uh, called Outnumbered in Numberland. So this book takes place in Numberland. We have Punctuation Land, now we have Numberland. And this uh, involves, this is where all the numbers to the end of counting live. All the numbers in the world live in Numberland. And uh, it's all about one number that is outnumbered in Numberland, and that number is zero. Zero is not a happy number because the other numbers don't accept it as a real number. It's right. not odd. It's not even, you know. It doesn't count for anything, you know. It means nothing, etc. And zero is out to prove to the other numbers and the world that the world doesn't work without zero. Exactly. It is yes. special. You got so it's, a, it's a, whole, a, a whole different imaginative way of looking at numbers. Uh, and again, it's in a magical place called Numberland. <laughs> it does seem like it don't be important sometimes, especially when you add a number with it. It's not going to equal just zero. It's going to equal ten or maybe five. Exactly. Five, 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 it That's zero, right. But mm-hmm. It's not the thing that comes out your mouth when you're counting. Yeah, like, but zero. I'm talking now about just zero by itself. Like exactly. zero, like zero says nobody counts zero, one, two, three. He right. says, but I come, I come before one. <laughs> and then zero, zero says, all my life I've had a low opinion of myself. I'm nothing. <laughs> I just love the way you play that. Like they're actually human. Like I got feelings too. Like why mm. don't? Yeah, pay attention to me. I'm important. I'm zero. If you need right. 200, you got to have two of us, zero, zero. Right. So right. exactly. Mm. Well, as, as, he, as he says in the book, he says to the number one, he's, he's talking to the number one, he says, all right, you guys uh, make every number. Okay, one, make a 10. And one says, I, how about an 11? And zero says, no, I want a 10. He says, I make a great 12. He says, no, I want a 10. And, of course, one can't make the 10 without zero. But zero wants to prove, and this is important in the book, zero wants to prove that he is a number standing all alone. He doesn't need other numbers to become a number. And uh, that's the interesting part of the book. And I I came up with some terrific uh, examples of that. Mm -hmm. Oh, please do tell us. (laughs) What? I said, go right ahead and tell us those examples, Gordon, if you don't mind. And tell, tell, tell you what I'm sorry, it's hard to hear. Oh, I was saying, go right ahead and tell us some of those examples. You was mentioning about you have some examples. Oh, well, okay. Um, uh, one example is, um, okay, let's go to the ball game. It's world team versus the USA, big baseball game. So the world team is up first, and the first batter strikes out, the next batter grounds out, the next batter flies out. What do you put on the scoreboard for, team, for the world team? World team gets a big, fat zero. You can't keep score without me. 
right? There's no more World Series, no more baseball. Cancel the World Series, no more hot dogs. Baseball needs zero. And then as one coach says, he says, actually, um, every game, football, basketball, uh, hockey, any game you want to play, every game needs zero because every game begins zero to zero. Hello. Gordon? Yeah. Yeah, I'm recording. Okay, did you get that? I did. I got it. So mm-hmm. what's so Gordon, after you write these books, what sort of feedback have you received from teachers and parents? Uh A plus. Fabulous. I know that's it should be. Yeah. A plus. Yeah. Right. Every all ages. Everyone. They all love so, it. Now, we all know that, as we stated before, that you were one of the, one of the original mad men. Mm-hmm. Now, how did that come about? Oh, well, I don't know whether I was original. I was a, an ad man, as you say. I just, uh, when I got out of college, I um, knew that I wanted to write, and uh, I liked the idea of advertising. I thought that would be a very good medium for me to work in. And uh, so I went out to get a job in advertising. And um, I got my first job at Macy's, and I started writing ads for Macy's. And um, I then moved over to the advertising agency end of it, and I did very well. And uh, I had a lot of fun doing it. I won a lot of awards and um, did a lot of good stuff. And then I retired. And uh, the wonderful thing about retiring, if you're a writer, is that all you really need is your computer in your head, and you can keep working. Uh, so I, re- so I, as I like to say to people, I retired from only from the neck down. Uh, my head is still going. Didn't retire. Yeah. What's so, the uh, See, you're doing something that you love, though. That's why you can't really stop because it's something that you, you enjoy doing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So, Gordon, tell us more how you decided to create those funny commercials that you created. Uh, how did I do it? Well, yeah. there's, no ma- there's no magic secret to it. You um, you get an assignment uh, for a particular product, and they need a commercial. Uh, so you sit down and you start to think about um, what it is about this product that you want to sell. Because these commercials all, I mean, a good commercial really is selling something about the product, a particular feature of the product that's important. And uh, you, then you figure out what is the best way to get there. And then you um, you hope that a good idea comes. And I was fortunate that um, most of the time I had good ideas come. <laughs> and uh, I was able to write some good stuff and uh, have a lot of fun. And have a lot of fun doing it. Yep. I know you did. I know mm-hmm. you did. I love yep. watching all these uh, commercials. They, most of these commercials do, they be a little extreme. You'd be like, okay, now you kind of lost me with the punchline, but some of mm-hmm. them are on point. Yeah. I would say my favorite one was the one when, uh, with the Doritos when they were showing it during Super Bowl. And the mm-hmm. little boy told me doing the time machine, he thought it was a real time machine and said, put your Doritos through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Where he got through. 
play them a melody, and as soon as you hear the melody, they'll start to hear words. They'll put words to it. Those notes say something to me, you know, a certain kind of words or a certain subject. So I think in, inherent in all of us, there is a um, uh, an ability, uh, not in all of us, but in some of us, there is a, the mind works a certain way that you get ideas. Where they come from, who knows? I don't know. Where the idea of punctuation land came from, I don't know. But it, uh, I popped in and there it was, you know. So um, I I would say, you know, if you are the kind who gets, get ideas, Mm-hmm. By all means, pursue them. Sit down and write them up, you know. Yes. Develop the ideas. Yes. Don't let them just sit in your head unused. Well, hopefully I will be able to get that website definitely from Gordon because, that I mean, since you're a professional writer, I think that would be awesome for people. That's talk to a professional writer, you know, get the opinions mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. because, that's one thing to write, and then it's awful, or you grammar, or you didn't put this sentence grammatically correct, or you missed mm-hmm. stuff. So yeah, yeah, that's very important. Know your grammar. Oh, very important. Oh, I know it. I know yeah. it. Probably you are probably looking at a paper like, oh lord, they are, look how many mistakes they are made. Mm-hmm. Because you be looking at them, they really think this paper is good. They are missing about right. five mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know I probably would have got some plenty of marks from you going on my paper because my professor was the same way. Technicia, mm-hmm. uh, we just need to rephrase this sentence because sometimes, now this is the main thing most people have a problem with, fluff. We add too much fluff to a, a whole paragraph when you don't need all that. You just need yeah, well, to yeah. the single, yeah. The single, I have discovered, just looking at my kids' writing and, uh, you know, for college and everything, the single biggest problem I think that most people have or the biggest mistake most people make, they uh, write what I call run-on sentences. The sentences go on and on and on and on when, you know, after, uh, you know, the period should have gone there and then a new sentence should have started. But they run the whole two thoughts together into one sentence. Uh, And uh, that makes it very hard to read. And it doesn't sound very good. So that's that's a problem. You really look into when you, as you're writing, look at your writing. When you get to a long sentence, ask yourself: Should this be two sentences? Should I put a period right over here and start a new sentence? It'll read better. Right. Yeah. You should. And you did a great job with, like I said, with the first with that punctuation. I yeah. Mean, I think well, thank you. You're welcome, Gordon. These books will just only make children think. That's all. That's all mm-hmm. I think is going through home, just to make you think, because we know technology is taking over. Everyone's getting lazy. They won't right. like to go to the library anymore. That's, mm-hmm. that's why That's why I think test scores are going down in school. Don't nobody right. make children think anymore. Oh, here go an iPad. There you go. Really? Yep. Well, they're going to call me Stone Age, because I don't give my eyes no iPads. Yeah, you go right. get the dictionary. You look mm-hmm. for it on your own. That's mm-hmm. right. <laughs> I had to go the hard way. Shoot, I had to look at right. the because right. you didn't have play. no Webster's right. and all that online. Yeah. yeah, but um, once again, Gordon, thank you so much for being on my show, sir, and sharing this. And I hope everyone goes out. Please get punctuation, um, right. Gordon, because it is. It's a great, funny book. <laughs> okay, Panic and Punctuation Land. 
Yes. Panic and punctuation. I don't want to mess right. with the man. Love his book. Look like Denisha, thank you so much. Thank you, Gordon. You have a blessed one. Yeah, you too. Enjoy talking to you. You All too, right. Gordon. Right. All right. Okay, bye-bye. Bye, Gordon. <laughs> well, that was Gordon Bouchel. I hope you go out and get his book, Panic and Punctuation Land, please. Do it's an awesome book, very creative and everything. But coming up next, I will be having another guest. By um, I'm gonna keep this one a secret. Well, it don't have to be a secret, but I don't like to spoil it. I don't want to give an introduction to the man just yet, and he's not on. But what I will do at the moment, we're gonna hit you with some tunes to keep you motivated. If you feel like calling in, please do it three four seven four two six three seven five one. Let's talk about new things going on in your life. If if you feel like you want to pray about something, we could do that too. I'm here for you. Um, I don't want to have to play the music so long, but I will be in and out chatting with you. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back after this. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by FeedThePig.org. Well, I finally did it. My student loan is totally paid off. I can't believe it. I can't believe it either. I paid more than the minimum each month, and soon enough, it was gone. So you're just giving up. Giving up on what? The life of luxury. Egyptian cotton, caviar Thursdays, designer everything. What are you talking about? Our plan. What happened to winning the lottery and mastering the art of the perfect mimosa? Hosting galas, wearing enough jewelry to require a bodyguard, vacationing in the French Riviera, and then buying it. I just thought maybe it was time to prepare for my future. You know, set some financial goals, make some smart investments, open a 401k. Financial goals? Investments? A 401k? You are horrifying right now. Listen, if winning the lottery were easy, everyone would do it. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Hey, hey, hey. 
Everybody, this your girl Technisha, better known as TK and ATL, and it's officially the first day of summer, and I hope everybody is rocking it out. But anyhow, we're waiting on my guest coming up at 1 o'clock p.m., so don't touch that dial. Please stay tuned. If you feel like calling in, you can do so at 347-426-3751. I hope everybody's feeling blessed today on this wonderful day. I appreciate all the likes that you have given me on my Facebook fan page. I also want to congratulate all, I want to congratulate all my graduates out there. I sure do, especially to my friend Aquarius Trice. Congratulations to your last sibling for graduating. I appreciate that so much. That's inspiring to see all the little ones. I love the little people I've been seeing on the free page. Graduations, they are just too adorable. I mean, really. I'm proud of all my cousins who graduated. Congratulations to you. Man, if you feel like giving a shout-out to somebody who just graduated, you can do that, too, on my show at 347-426-3751. You sure can. Or you can hit me up on Twitter at Day 60 or on my Facebook fan page, The Black Side with Technicia. It's been a wonderful, blessed day today, so I hope everybody, like I said, is enjoying their day, but I'll be right back after this. Stay tuned on Blog Talk Radio. So I'm a cat, and I just moved in with this new human, and she's got this little toy she's always playing with, all day long. Tap, 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 bloop, bloop. She can't put it down. There it is. Oh, and get this. She even talks to it. Last week, she asked it for Chinese, and guess what? Egg rolls showed up like magic. Humans have cool toys. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the ShelterPetProject.org. I go to school with your children. We say the Pledge of Allegiance together. I'm one out of every four children in America, and I'm struggling with hunger. I'm lucky to grow up where I could be whatever I want. I want to grow up and be someone who doesn't go to bed hungry. 
Please visit feedingamerica.org today to find your local food bank. Every dollar you donate helps provide seven meals for kids like me. Together, we're Feeding America. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council.
Juicy J. Uh-huh. Let's raise.
All right, we're back on the air with the girl Technisha on the bright side with Technisha, and I'm thankful that you're tuning in and staying in touch with me. On the air with me is Keith Daffron. He's the author of How to Be a Great Dad. And if you want to stay tuned in, please call in at 347-426-3751. We're accepting all types of questions. Keith, how are you doing today? Oh, hold on. I didn't put Keith through. Wait. Keith, how are you today? I am doing just great. I'm so glad to be here, Technisha. Thank you. Me too. You got an awesome book out, and it's very wonderful to read. I think this will touch bases with moms and dads as well. And and you're very you're empowering all fathers to become great dads. And so, what basically, what was your childhood like? Starting off with that. Well, uh, my dad left our family when I was seven years old. Uh, I saw him, you know, occasionally. He would come around maybe every three or four weeks or so and take me and my little brother out for an afternoon or sometimes, not very often overnight, but sometimes for an afternoon or an evening. And then he would disappear for a while. Uh, And that went on for years until I was 14 years old. I went away to a tennis camp a non-religious tennis camp, but my counselor was a uh, was a Christian, and when after spending three weeks with him, I made a decision as a young 14-year-old that I wanted to follow the teachings of Jesus at that time and came back and told my dad all about this new decision I'd made, and my dad was Jewish by heritage but atheist by belief system, and he just could not believe that a son of his could believe something so stupid and that's what he told me and that really put a separation in our relationship even more so than it had already been and then two years later um, my younger brother actually uh, died and gave up his own life and that was devastating for all of us but it was sort of the end of relationship with my dad because he believed that Kenny's death didn't affect me, that I wouldn't be grieving because I somehow would believe that my younger brother was in heaven. Um, I didn't believe that, but my dad and I never talked about it. He didn't know that I had, in my own grief and anger, had walked away from God at that time. And I just, my dad and I never reconnected. It was years and years of rejection and separation, non-communication, until I was finally 38 years old. And after I had been through years of therapy and trying to work through these feelings and the pain and the sadness and so much longing for my dad, I really thought that I was at a place where I could ask him to be more of a father to me without demanding it, without without expecting it even, but just asking, requesting, you know, telling him what I that I loved him, that I missed him, and I wanted to have a relationship with him. And I was finally able to do that. At that time, I had just become a father myself. My first two boys were only uh, oh, about two years old and six months old, I think, at the time. And I asked my dad, he said, what do you want from me? And I said, I just want you to be my dad. Right. And it stunned, yeah, it stunned him for a moment. He went silent. He looked back into my eyes and he said, I don't want that. And he turned around, and he walked out of my house and walked out of my life. And it was the last time I ever heard from him. Um, I found out almost two years later that he had died in his apartment from heart failure. And the last words I ever heard my dad speak to me was that I, I don't want to be your dad. 
So there was a, a lot of pain there, and uh, I, I know that many men, in fact, many women, can identify with a dad who just isn't able or doesn't right. want. Yeah, I, I'm sure it is. It's not just with the guys, so definitely the women can relate. I mean, because either way, you grew up with a father who was mean-talking to you or down-talking to you, yeah. then, yes, you could very really understand that. I never went through those issues with my father. I, I don't know. Oh, if so glad. I don't know if it would have ever come about, but I because I lost my father when I was seven. He died of a heart attack. So oh. my mom, yeah, my mom always kind of been that figure. But we're like, if she gets mad, certain things she would say, and I kind of do the same thing. And I try not to do that to my daughters. Like if I get mad, not to try to say things that make them feel discouraged. And, and yes. it's, it's really hard because at times I discipline my girls, Keith, and I and I do love them. I love them with all my heart. But when I discipline them, I don't want them thinking, oh, I don't love them. So I'm glad you're on the show because I would like to know how can a parent teach their children that? Like how can you discipline them without them thinking that you don't actually love them? Yeah. You know, children um, pick up a lot and they – because they're children and they don't have the kind of emotional and mental development that adults do, they fill in all sorts of blanks. And I think one of the best things parents can do, we have to discipline our children. You know, we do, but we need to be consistent. We need to not do it in anger. And we need to talk to our children, explain what we're doing and why, and tell them that with that discipline comes tremendous love. Kids don't mind being disciplined, but when they're disciplined and they don't know that they're loved, that's when discipline can become a problem and can create separation rather than closeness and the kind of character development that we're hoping to see when we do discipline our kids. I do agree with that all the way. So in your definition, what is a great dad to you? You know, a great dad... What I teach the men in my workshops, the guys that I coach individually in small groups, and what I write about in my book, How to Be a Great Dad, no matter what kind of father you had, I teach them that a great dad knows three core fathering practices. He knows how to affirm his children, how to praise them, how to build a self-esteem or an identity in them that is strong and confident. So he knows how to give affirmation. He knows how to demonstrate acceptance, unconditional and unending acceptance, no matter what our kids do. They always have a place to belong with us. And he knows how to give affection, verbal and physical affection, affirmation, acceptance, and affection. And if dads can learn how to do those three things, you're going to shape some pretty great kids. You are. But sometimes you could be yeah. in your child's life. Sometimes you could be in your child's life and not actually be there, and that's one thing. As a mom, and I know that the book is focusing on how to be a great dad, but I think women could play a part in this as well because sometimes we have to play the father mm-hmm. figure if we lose my husband to war that's or right. anything. So just being a mom, well, I try to, I try to be there, Keith, all the time. But I work so much. But when I'm here. I try to spend as much time with them to know dad is not the only one around. Mom, mom's here too. Right. Wonderful. I mean, as you know from my story, I grew up with a single mom, so I 
I understand some of those pressures and the tremendous uh, love and role that many women play without a dad in their kids' lives. I know it. It's hard. It is, ladies. Yeah. That's, I'm going to have a show on for uh, focusing on single parents. Really, I am, because we need to touch bases on that. When you think that it's no hope, sometimes it gets hard. It's a bumpy road when you're a single parent, but you got to know how to just keep going. You can't make excuses. You can't. And people love to come up yeah. with excuses. My favorite one, oh, I got these many kids and that, da-da-da-da-da. Okay, we all have heard it. Everyone must have that same tattoo, but let's try, let's change the chapter in the page. Now, Keith, I know that you are also a divorced dad as well. What advice would you have for fathers or mothers out there who are divorced and how to stay more connected to their children or child? Yeah, so, so much of it is communication. You know, when I'm not with my boys, I have three sons who are now teenagers, 16, 14, and uh, 12. And uh, it's so much of it is communication. When we're not together, we're calling, we're texting, we're doing FaceTime to stay close to each other. And then I spend as much time as I possibly can with them, you know, making sure for sure that all my uh, sort of legal time is fulfilled. But any opportunity I can to be with them, to attend their sporting events. I was at my boys' soccer game last night. Uh, right now I've got them for 10 days because their mom is away. It's absolutely wonderful. <laughs> but it's staying involved, staying engaged, and not, you know, remembering that just because things didn't work out with yours doesn't mean you can't have a great relationship with your kids. That's right. And there's a lot of people who are co-parenting now. You even have your celebrities doing it. I, and I love, um, I forgot her name, Chris, Christine Milano. I hope I can get her name correct. I try to keep everybody's name. She even said that she don't want to bring that negative around her child, even though her, her man might be going through something, but she don't down talk her father to her at all, you know, always positive things. So that's mainly right. the if you're if you're going through a divorce, don't down talk the other parent in front of your child. That's only bringing a negative attitude towards the other parent. So yeah, because you've got to remember that your relationship with your former spouse is very different than the relationship your children have with him or her. Right. So just because things didn't work out for you, just because the two of you couldn't communicate or, or things broke down or whatever the reason was that your relationship didn't work that is not going to be the same situation that your kids have. My boys love their mother, and I'm glad they do. And She's a very good mother to them, and they love me, and there's no reason that they can't have enough love in their hearts for both of us because things didn't work out with me and my wife, my former wife. My kids don't have to, don't have to feel that. They don't have to, to deal with the kind of issues that she and I dealt with between ourselves. So I encourage that. I want them to be close to her. I want always to say positive things to my boys about her and to correct them when they're negative. You know, because one of the things they're learning is about how a man speaks about a woman, how a man treats a woman when they look at me. And I want them to see me treating their their mom with respect. Right. Right. Um, everyone, if you did hear just a little noise, I do apologize. Sometimes when I'm on air, these little pop-up commercials love to pop up, so I try not to let that happen in between. So just let you know if you do hear that. But, um, well, I mean, 
Co-parenting is it is difficult. Like I said, it because you got the children in the middle, you're caught up in the middle. Sometimes one parent don't want to cooperate. But one thing about children, they don't want to hear their parents dissing each other. They don't. That's not what they want. And even for my husband and I, when we argue, I try not to do it around my girls. I would tell them, let's discuss this later. Let's not do it in front of them because that's not appropriate. You don't want them to grow up and be like, oh, that's all our parents did. They argued 24-7 and <laughs> they act like we wasn't around. So I do agree with Keith. Let's act responsible. If, and if you find it happening around your children, just take your just take your spouse to the side and request that you know that you communicate respectfully when the kids are around or do it without them around. But Keith, as far as it goes with this book, what was your main purpose behind it? Why did you want to come up with this book? Well, Technisha, I had the tremendous privilege of spending six years working with men in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice System, you know, going into prison and working with about 600 men over that six-year period, men wow. who, of course, had fathers, very, very few of whom had good relationships with their fathers, and almost all of whom had children, broken relationships with children, children they had abandoned through their incarceration or sometimes before their incarceration. And as I worked with these men, taught them uh, responsible character and fatherhood. As I told stories about my pain, relationship with my dad and then my relationship with my children it was amazing to see how these guys hearts soften and open guys who started to come to me and beg me to help them rebuild relationships with their children through the, through writing and through visitation and it was during that six-year period that I saw over and over and over again the power of vulnerability and how healing can take place and when these guys heal their own father wounds and are willing to reach out to begin fathering their children, what an unbelievable difference it makes. In that six-year period, I mentioned I got to work with about 600 men, and as a result, I saw about 2,000 children receive their father's love, affirmation, and, and approval, many of whom for the first time. And it so inspired me to take that work outside of prison walls. I ended up founding the Great Dads Project. So I speak and travel, do uh, presentations in person and online. Where okay. I work with men and women. We'll talk about the women in a moment. But I work primarily with men, helping them heal their father wounds and reestablish or strengthen relationships with their children. And so I wrote this book. For those men, the book is again called How to Be a Great Dad, no matter what kind of father you had, whether you had a good relationship or you had a very poor relationship, whether it was wonderful or painful. I am trying to help men learn the, the key skills of affirmation, acceptance, and affection to become the dads that they long to be and their kids really want and need them to be. But as you've mentioned a couple of times, it's amazing how many women have read the book and loved it. Half the reviews on Amazon are from women. And they're all five-star reviews. So apparently it's helping women not only you know, be better moms, but understand their men better, understand what their men may be going through in not having the affirmation of their, their dads and helping them help their men 
be better dads, which is why I'm doing this webinar next week for women, for moms. Oh, good. Oh, that's awesome, Keith. Yes, parents need need that. And I like the fact that you said, even though you may have had a bad relationship with your father or mother, that doesn't give you the right to do that to your own children. That's when you have to break that cycle. And that's really hard mm-hmm. because some, sometimes you grow up with certain values. Like Now, that's another question I would have to ask, Keith. How do you coach them through life that seems so difficult for them? Because, like, for instance, my raisins were different. It was My raisins were very stern. But I try not to be stern with my girls because times are changing. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, you know, so many of our parents did did what they could. They did the best they could. You know, there wasn't there weren't the resources available to them. They may not have had great parenting. Many of our parents had maybe depression era parents or war era parents, and they just did the best they could. Many of them were surviving, just trying to get by, providing for their families, trying to create safety you know, making sure we had some measure of security. But lots of our parents just didn't have the resources that are available to us. They didn't understand child development. They didn't know psychologically what a child needs to develop self-esteem. So many different things and resources that are now available, information, knowledge, and resources available to us now that we can become much better parents than our parents have the ability to be. Right. Yes. I do agree. I I agree with that all the way. Now, what would you say is probably the best way to to break a cycle and to become a great dad or mom that you want to really be? Well, that's when I, in the second half of my book, I take my readers through my own journey. It's called Healing the Father Wound. And I just simply openly explain the process that I went through not saying that everyone has to follow my process, everyone has their own, but just as openly and honestly as possible to say, here, is, here are the steps that I went through in first even identifying what a father wound looks like. You know, I had no idea when I first started my counseling and my healing journey that so much of what was going on in my life, so many of the problems in my, my work life and my personal relationships, particularly my intimate relationships with women, I just didn't realize that so many of the problems I was dealing with really went back to this wound I had from not having the awareness that my dad actually loved me, that my dad was proud of me, that he wanted me. You know, I just didn't realize that psychological connection. I didn't understand the idea that very natural human tendency to project old emotions from past trauma into present situations and present relationships, I had no idea. So the first step that I talk about in my book is identifying that father wound. What does it look like? How does it manifest? And and then secondly, starting to embrace it, saying, okay, it's here. You know, this is not something that's just going to go away. It's something I have to actually deal with. And then I take men and women through those steps of leading toward understanding and compassion and ultimately forgiveness and then actually reparenting ourselves, you know, because once I finally got to the place where I was able to genuinely forgive my dad, um, I then had to start growing up myself. I, 
I still didn't, even though I was able to forgive him and love him, Mm -hmm. I still didn't have him. You know, particularly after his death, I didn't have a dad. So here I was, you know, a grown man starting to have children myself, and I had no model. I had no idea what to do. And I had to reparent myself. I had to help that, that little boy inside me grow up. And, and I sometimes say it like this, Tignisha. I say, I had to become the dad I wish I had had. So I became that dad for me, and I've right. become that dad for my boys. But it's been a process years and years. It does. It takes time. Parent is not easy. I mean, you can read no. all the books. You can read all the books that you want, and it's just not that simple. You're not gonna be able to just get them to do what you want in two seconds because you read a paragraph on it. So no. Now, Keith, how can a dad really make their child see their self worth when others are disappointing them? Because I know my girls go through it sometimes. People call them all names and everything, and then I have to end up patching up some wounds. Yeah. I didn't catch the first part of your question. How can a parent do what, technician? Like, how can a parent really get their child to see their self-worth when others are out here oh. disappointed? Yeah. You know, that is such a great question, and it's tricky because it's not it's not an easy fix. You know, self-worth is something that is built over years and years and years of relationship. You know, it's not something you just come in, you know, there's a magic word or a magic touch and all of a sudden kids feel good about themselves. Kids take in all of life and they absorb their identity from their their surroundings. And so if a child has not been told repeatedly how good they are, how smart they are, how wonderful how glad their parents are to have them, how much they love them. That's how a child builds that self-esteem. If that child doesn't have that, and then they get wounded in some way, whether at school or you know, in the play yard or on a team, it's not easy to just come back in, swoop in, and build them up in that moment. So I encourage dads and moms to spend lots of time. It's why these three core parenting skills are so important of affirmation, acceptance, and affection. If parents are consistently affirming their children, finding things to praise, speaking to them, and writing to them words of praise consistently, if they're always expressing that kind of unconditional and unending acceptance, and your kids know that they belong with you, if you're affectionate with them in your touch and in your words, that's how kids develop that identity, that confidence, that self-esteem you're referring to that makes, it, makes them more resilient when they face the wounds that they're inevitably going to face in the world. Does that make sense? It does. It, makes, it definitely makes perfect sense. Um, because it, it is. It's a cruel world out there. And I do, like I said, I do my best to boost my daughter's self-esteem of when they feel like they're ugly, I tell them, you are very beautiful. You are. And I know it, I know in their mind, like, okay, mom just saying it because she's mom, but I really be meaning it. it you are. And it's so, it looks like it's so hard because the world out here is not, I tell them the world is not pretty at all. They're just eight years of age because they're twins. But I let them know the world's not Aww. pretty. It's not, 
it's not it's not peaches and ice cream at all. It's very it, it can be cruel. Yes. And that's yes. why I'm so glad you I'm glad that you have a book out like this. This will help so many. What responses have you got back from people just by reading your book, Keith? Well, the responses and the reviews have been um really heartwarming and um Surprising. I I just actually won a Nautilus Book Award for Outstanding oh, Merit right. in the Family and Parenting category, and I was just so so surprised and so happy. I mean, what a what an honor after spending so you know a couple of years writing this book to be recognized in that way. But parents are just saying repeatedly how helpful these core skills are to them. And uh, I had a gentleman write to me, someone recently, who just said he. That section on healing the father wounds was probably the most powerful thing he has ever read in any book and has helped him tremendously heal his wounds with his father and express the forgiveness that he needed to express the way I did with my dad. So I'm super grateful uh, that some of the things that I've written are making a difference for people. Right. That's always, that is, that's always a blessing. Now, would you really suggest, like, for a child to probably keep a journal because sometimes it's hard for a child to really communicate with the parent and you can mostly get your words out through a journal. For some kids, that is very helpful. You know, I think particularly for girls who often like to write more than boys do, that can be very helpful. But whatever a child does, some kids are writers, some need someone to talk to, whether it's another, you know, a big brother, big sister, whether that's a you know, biological or even through the wonderful program of Big Sisters and Big Brothers of America. But sometimes it's in a church or a YMCA or, you know, like my tennis counselor. But kids need an opportunity to express themselves. And if they're not able to do that at home, um, finding a place where they can do that, finding a safe adult who can provide a listening ear or just even in a journal, like you're saying, um, rather than bottling things up, encouraging kids to get things out. Well, um, I know when I grew up, I kept a journal, but I think I ended up trying to get rid of it because I felt it was too personal for me. And my mom would go through it, and I'm like, oh, why are you reading through my stuff? Parents yeah. don't just – I mean, it's a good thing to be nosy, but try, try to really communicate with your child so they don't have to – probably sneak around or do certain things. They said, no, I'm here. You can talk about anything. Because my mom, she was the kind you could talk about certain things to her, but on certain issues you just couldn't. And I think that brings me to my next question. Like, any advice for dads or moms who may feel uncomfortable discussing certain topics their children keep? Well, I've, I've been through that myself. I think... The, the probably the best advice, first piece of good advice I would give would be to say, don't let that uncomfortability shut you down. Just because you're uncomfortable, you know, it, that is no reason not to do it. But if you need it, get the help, the encouragement, the coaching. It's why I coach men. I meet with men over Skype. I coach them individually and in small groups, guys who don't know how to do these things. They don't have these skills. Their, their dads didn't train them, and they don't know what to do. They want to be good dads, but they're uncomfortable, and they're, un- they're not knowledgeable. And so they 
they engage me as a, a great dad coach. I meet with them every week. And we talk about every practical thing you can imagine, not only about how to love their children, but also how to deal with some of their internal psychology related to their relationship with their dads. There are very few men, Technicia, who had great relationships with their dads. Very few men who got everything they need, who knew their dads loved them, were proud of them, and who trained them to be men husbands and fathers. And so I've, after spending years of getting that help myself, healing my father wounds substantially, uh, I am very grateful to be in the position now where I can mentor other men. I can coach men to become the dads that they've always wanted to be. Right. And that's the only best, that is the only best way. Okay, do you can't do no more than that but to try to be yeah. the best. Nobody's out here posted. <laughs> but there's no, I mean, like you said, now we got the parenting book, but growing back then years ago, there was no parent book. Our parents did the best that they could, and that's what it is for us. We're doing the best that we that we can. But Keith, yeah. I, I really have to say, man, I hope people do get this book. This, this book really touched, it does, it touched home so much. So Thank you. How is, you're welcome. How's your project going? The Great Dad Project. I am well. It's going. We. Uh, I love what I get to do. I think the coaching aspect that I mentioned is probably my favorite. Uh, I love speaking to men. I love training men. And right now, uh, I think you might know that I have got a couple of webinars, free webinars coming up. One in just uh, in less than a week, a week from yesterday. I have a free webinar coming up for women called Five Ways Women Can Help Their Men Become the Dads They Want Them to Be. Avoid the mistakes you might not know you're making. So I'm going to be speaking directly to moms about things they can do to help their men become the dads that they want them to be. Okay. And then a week. Okay. That's Go awesome. Ahead. I definitely don't want to spoil that, Pastor. I'm not even going to ask. What we um like? What are some things that women could change? Because we want to wait for the webinar, so we're not going to spoil that. I'm sorry, people. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, if they want to wait for the webinar, they can actually sign up right on my website. If they go to the right. upcoming events page on my right. website, you can find, just read the information there about that webinar. You can sign up; it's totally free. It's one hour. It's next Thursday, and I'm going to be speaking to hundreds of women across the country about how to help their men become the dads they want them to be. Good, because sometimes women, we do. We cause the problems, too. Like, when you get mad with your man, we keep we keep them out the picture, and that's not advisable to do. You don't want to start mm-hmm. doing that. Or if you get mad with him, then you take it out on the child. You don't want him disciplining the child. So there's some little tweaking that us women can get from that, too. So I hope we do check out the webinar for all of us. Now, Keith, can you tell the listeners where they can go get your book or get in contact with you, perhaps? Yeah, all of that. My book, contact with me, and signing up for the webinars. You can do all of that at my website, which is the Great Dads Project, dadsproject.org, O-R-G. If you go to the greatdadsproject.org, there's a contact page where you can contact me. There's information about the book. You can get that on Amazon. And 
uh, the upcoming events page is where you'll find information about the webinars, the one for the women next week. And then a week later, I am doing a webinar for, for men called Three Massive Mistakes Busy Dads Make That Cause Their Kids to Pull Away from Them and to Completely oh, wow. Shut Them Out. Mm, I like the sound of that. I'm saying to make you actually think that we're doing what we think we're doing right is actually harming the child in, in the process. But Keith, I thank you for being on the show, sharing about your upcoming webinar and telling us about your book and giving us a little insight into your life. Oh, I'm so grateful, Tanisha. Thank you for having me and allowing me to share these things. I appreciate it. Well, you're welcome, Keith, and you enjoy your day and have a blessed one. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye, Keith. Well, everyone, I hope you enjoyed the show very much. So um, that was dad friends sharing how to be a great dad. Mom, also, we're including you too. We listened to a, bit of, we listened to a little bit of Gordon Bouchelle. Um, how to get into the right skills and how to amp up your skills a little more and everything. So I will see you tomorrow at noon. Please check out my Facebook fan page on the Bright Side with Technicia. You can hit me up at Twitter at TDay60. God bless and enjoy your summer. It's officially here, everyone. And once again, congratulations to all our graduates out there. You deserve it. Now go enjoy your day and celebrate. Thank you for tuning in to The Bright Side with Tanisha. Come back daily from 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. God bless.